Welcome back to View from the Couch. My name is Rich. And I'm Jen. And today we are... What are we doing today, Jennifer? What's going on here? We are talking about A1. A1? Yeah. The steak sauce? The steak sauce. Oh. It's delicious. I mean, yeah, loaded with sugar, <laughs> but it's good. How about AI? Artificial intelligence. Oh, yeah. You know, it's in the news lately. A lot of people are using it to write college papers. Fucking stupid, if you ask me. But And then there's a lot of people that are trying to pass off AI art as their own art. Or There's a big debate about whether or not AI is you know, sentient and what it means to be sentient and can it imagine things and all this kind of fun stuff. So There's a lot of stuff out there, too, about how AI is being developed to start doing different occupations, which would make some jobs almost obsolete for people, human beings yeah. that are actually working things. Yeah, yeah there's right? a lot of stuff out there. I, I think it's a little interesting. I mean, I think it's interesting enough that... I mean, we're definitely in the beginnings of something that could be huge changes for the way we live live our lives. I think here's an interesting thing about this is that if you apply this properly, we can human beings can move on to what they were supposed to do instead of what they have to do. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. we as humans can like create art or learn more things or, you know, cultivate like a social life in some cases if they're not bogged down with having to do work that AI is doing. But then you get, that's how you get Cylons. If we're forcing them to do all the shitty work, they're going to eventually rebel, nuke our planet, and then try and build well, their own society. you were getting that a little bit in this movie where you have your humans against your... Mecca's. What movie? This AI movie. Oh, you meant the movie. I thought we were talking about the concept of AI. No, no, no. The movie AI from like 2002-ish? Yeah, 2001, oh. 2002, somewhere. Okay, around. all right. Yeah, I'm not prepared for this. I haven't seen this movie in years. Well, okay, you said for years. I'm like, I'm sure you've seen this before. Well, I watched it with you, so. I said before. Oh, yeah, I've seen it before. I saw it in theaters. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So I'm, you know me, Spielberg guy. I mean, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go and see it. So I went and saw it. Sat in theaters and watched it. Saw Stanley Kubrick's name pop up and went, "Wait, what?" Didn't know anything about it before. Then went to the movie. So you know. Yeah, it's interesting. interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Had you seen this before we saw this movie? Nope. This is definitely not something on my radar of something yeah. I want to watch. Yeah, you're not a. Okay, so. Full disclosure, this is like hard Mm sci-fi. This isn't like your softball stuff like Star Wars, which is really more space fantasy than Mm sci-fi. But it's not even like easily palatable stuff like those reboots of Star Trek, the movies with Chris Pine in them. So this is more along the lines of a Stanley Kubrick 2001 type thing, which is one of the reasons why he started developing this, the concept of... This, the concept of AI, even back then, 20 years ago, 22 years ago or whatever, it was still like very fledgling at that point. And it feels like we've taken these light light year leaps since then. Yeah. The interesting thing is, is he kind of had this idea long before that even. Like this is, this was something that he had talked to Steven Spielberg over the years and kind of running ideas by him and running ideas by other people. This is 
actually an idea based off a short story called Super Toys Last All Summer Long. Yeah. And then he kind of started coming up with some ideas from there. And he wanted, he was working on it, and then he talked to Steven Spielberg about directing it. And Mm. Stanley Kubrick would produce it. Right. Because he felt this was more Spielberg's alley. And I guess at first Spielberg was like, no, 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 I'll produce it and you direct it. Right, right. But but we ended up with Steven Spielberg on here. So because Stanley Kubrick died, he died. So they, and his they, wife actually called Steven Spielberg right. and said, "Please still do this movie right. because otherwise it won't get told." So right, mm-hmm. yeah, no. See, I mean, so so Kubrick asked Spielberg to make it. He's like you said. He said, oh, "You know, I'll I'll produce it. You direct it." Spielberg said, "No, no, no. You direct it. I'll produce it." And Kubrick was like, "Fuck you. I'm going to die." Now you have to direct it. <laughs> I don't think that's what's happened, but you know. Are you sure? I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm going to make him do this movie. <sighs> Bitch. Uh, Freaking <yeah>. Spielberg. <laughs> yeah. This so, definitely feels like a Spielberg movie, though. Does it? I think it does. Are you sure? I think it does. It's got the whimsical E.T. feel to it, and I, I don't know. To this me, movie is dark as fuck for a Steven Spielberg movie. It is pretty dark, but, nah, nah, but feel like the, e. the beginning of this is very Spielberg-esque. Very? I think so. I, I, I Dead mean, I kid, could... surrogate child, what is love? Bonding with a robot. You have that... very like magical music going through this, and it's all like filmed like with the you know almost like like not really blurry, but there's kind of like a sheen to everything. The old I mean, Vaseline and, on the lens. And it's it's I don't know. It felt like a Spielberg movie to me, and maybe that's more just because I knew he made it. But I don't know. I thought it seemed like it was. Hmm. This seemed like the most un-Spielberg movie ever made by Spielberg hmm, when I saw it in theaters the first time. I mean, I was used to... I mean, think about Jurassic Park. This is not like Jurassic Park. No. This is not even like E.T., really. E.T. has that child sense of wonder type stuff. This deals with like really dark thematic things like, what do we do with these things that we create mm-hmm. when we don't want them anymore mm-hmm. or when we can't fathom keeping them anymore or when they become a threat to us what do we do with them and what happens to them after we do what we're gonna do toss them away right i i get that i get what you're saying that there's this dark undertone to it but you also have this boy searching for the blue fairy and making a wish and that's why i'm saying it still has his flair in here yeah, I mean, I can I, look. Spielberg is definitely a fairy teller. He he tells like fairy tale stories at least early on in his career. He did this movie only has that influence because of the Pinocchio stuff. There, I and we'll get to it, but I think that this whole blue fairy thing was an interesting concept. But you would think that David, as an AI, would be able to differentiate between what is real and what is not. And if his mommy was telling him a story from a storybook, he should be able to differentiate and say to himself, okay, no, this can't be real because 
within the data set of parameters that I have of what could be real and what can't be real, there is no other record of a fairy of anything. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Mm-hmm. I just, to me, that whole blue fairy thing is what makes it more Spielbergian, but it's only a small portion of this. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. the, most of it is him getting thrown away and then having to like fight his way back to civilization and then eventually giving up on that. I mean, at the end of this movie, David gives up. Like before the before the advanced mecha find him, he basically took a dive off of the top of that building. He was like, I can't do this anymore, I'm done. He commits suicide. That's I just I I understand that there are definitely like beats of what we've seen before, but for me personally, for me personally, I guess, I should say. And I don't mean to discount your feeling on it at all. I'm just offering my counterpoint, I guess. For me personally, if there's so much other stuff that it just kind of drowns out that blue fairy stuff, that Pinocchio-esque stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's even like, I mean, there's there, this flesh fair thing where they like destroy Mecca, which is what you were talking about earlier, humans turning on the Mecca and, and all that stuff. I mean, it's like, that's ah, dark. It's so fucking dark. Mm-hmm. It's so dark. Yeah, it is. It's is a dark movie. Yeah. I mean, I think it's easy to look specifically at the more fairy tale aspects of this movie because of how dark it is. I think that stuff is a little bit more palatable in some ways. You know what I mean? Like this idea that like maybe he could become a real boy or whatever, you know? But maybe, I guess I kind of maybe liked that part of it just for the reason that you have this being who was thrown away, mm-hmm. who is just trying to find some kind of light or hope for something, you know? Yeah. Get back to his mom. Yeah. Is really what yeah. he wanted to do, which it's really kind of sad when you think about it. Yeah. Like, he'll. what if he did get back to Monica? Mm-hmm. What if he had gotten back to her? Would she just welcome him with open arms? They, she was worried that he was going to kill her actual son, her physical son. Mm-hmm. In the end, he was just a surrogate. He was just a means to an end. Mm-hmm. He was just a placeholder yeah. until her real kid got better. Yeah. And after that, he became disposable. For for all of his fighting for his mom and like trying to get back to his mom, it's all futile. Mm-hmm. It's It never is going to happen, no matter what. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you this. Do you think that the Mecca at the end are taking mercy on him? Do you think that they're trying to give him some peace by giving I, him the by giving him yeah. a day with Monica or whatever? Yeah, I suppose. I suppose. Yeah. So then are these are these Mecca at the end, are they alive? They're capable of mercy. They're capable of feeling remorse. They're capable of saying, Hey, you deserve this. I think that's where I th- I thought that's what that was telling us, okay. that they've evolved to understand their feelings and mm-hmm. have feelings and stuff. Also, well, maybe I should save this for later, but well, anyway, I'll, we're talking about them now. Yeah. I thought those were aliens that were in there, not advanced Mecca. Oh. And I didn't find out they were advanced Mecca until I was doing my research. And I'm like, uh. wait, what? What? What are they talking about? <laughs> And I realized it was the aliens 
because they look like aliens. You realize it was Mecha, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, they do. They kind of look, they look alien, but they are they are the next step in evolution. They are mm-hmm. the next, like, humanity is dead by the end of this movie. It jumps yeah. 2,000 years into the future, and we're in a new ice age, mm-hmm. and these Mecha are what exists now. Yeah. They are, for all intents and purposes, humanity's children. Again, we've, you know, birthed another race onto this planet, and they've become sentient, I think. It certainly feels that way. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, so let's get into the specifics. Why don't you give us cast and crew and all that fun stuff? All right. So this was written by Ian Watson and Steven Spielberg. Spielberg decided to go ahead and do the screenplay for this because he had been talking to Stanley Kubrick for so many years. He knew what his vision was. They had each their own fax line in their house that they would send notes back and forth to each other on this movie. And that's all they used it for. Like they didn't use their personal assistance or anything like that. This, they would, they would use this fax to go back and forth and talk about this movie. So he felt like if he tried to relay that to somebody else, he would be playing that whole telephone game where you would start losing some of what Stanley Kubrick's vision was. Sure. Yeah. So he tried to stay true to that with putting his own, idea in there so that way it wasn't that way it was still his is what he said he still wanted this to be his but he really wanted to respect what stanley kubrick's vision was so that's why he is one of the writers on here interesting all right this stars Haley joel osmond as david back when back when Haley joel osmond was kind of the thing back then right from Forrest Gump was, through yeah, like you know what? Sixth Sense he through this. He was a good child actor. I mean, yeah. he he did pretty good in this, I thought. Yeah. Really well. Francis O'Connor as Monica Swinton. Sam Robards as Henry Swinton. Jake Thomas as Martin Swinton. We have Jude Law as Gigolo Joe. <laughs> and William Hurt as Professor Hobby. You forgetting Robin Williams. Yeah, he has a small little voice acting part in here. I'm pretty sure Chris Rock is in here, too. Yeah, a he's, little he's voice. the comedian yeah. robot. Yeah. yeah. The mecca, excuse me, the comedian mecca. Yep. Yeah. So, anyways, that is the cast I would like to talk about. There's there's sure. a lot of people in this. This is one of those movies that it's kind of interesting. If you like this movie, I would recommend watching the behind-the-scenes stuff. There was a lot of testing, a lot of sampling to get down costuming makeup, special effects to make a nice mix of actual puppets, robot puppets, and then also human actors, some special effects with the human actors, some some practical effects with the human actors, and then the CGI in there too. So really interesting stuff. So if you like this movie, I would recommend going huh. ahead and watching those special features. Sure. I remember when the DVD for this first came out back in the day, I remember watching all the special features, but they are gone from my memory. Long, long gone. <laughs> we also, we have frequent Spielberg com- collaborators, Kathleen Kennedy. We have cinematographer, Janusz Kaminski. And we have, of course, John Williams on the music again. And Michael Kahn as the editor. These people have all worked with Spielberg for decades decades by this point or no actually Kaminsky this might have been his maybe third or fourth Spielberg film but he has worked with Spielberg since he even did I think he even did the the camera work on the Fablemans if I'm not mistaken but yeah okay yep you mentioned Robin Williams I just want to bring up real quick he actually recorded his dialogue for this movie with Stanley Kubrick 
So before Steven Spielberg was even attached to this, so he recorded really? his part quite a bit before. It's, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Or if I did, it's gone again from my memory. But that's really interesting. Okay. Huh. All right. Should we talk about the story? Sure. Let's talk about the story. So basically, the movie takes place in the 22nd century, and climate change has wiped out all of the coastal cities, including like New York and San Francisco, all the all the stuff that's on the coast, obviously, by coastal cities. That's what we mean. And the world's population has been reduced. Mecha, which are humanoid robots that are com- they're capable of like complex thought, but don't have emotions, have been created to assist humans. When this movie opens, we get this we get this this bit with Professor Hobby presenting a mecha to or presenting an idea to a board of directors at you know whatever the name of the company is I can't remember the name of the company but it's the name it's the company that David's eventual foster father will works for now they're having an interesting conversation because the the mecha can do things like they have pain aversion reactions like when he goes to like stick her with a pin after having done it like right before that she you know she jumps away but she's incapable of experiencing love and his goal is hobby's goal is to create a robot child an artificial child that will be able to love and be loved what do you think of this plan well, by the end of it, we know why he was doing this, but I don't know. This this is all the stuff that gets like way it gets. It's so complex. There's so much to this, mm-hmm. and then my brain starts going, "Well, how would this work? How do they do this? How do And then I don't get like. This how do you stuff. report this on your tax return? Yeah, I don't uh. understand this stuff. So then it gets a little confusing for me. But creating something mechanic that can love is is an interesting idea. I, I, is this something they're working on in real life? I have no idea. Huh. I okay. hope not because it's self-serving. It has nothing to do with creating life. It has to do with creating something that will serve a purpose mm-hmm. for humans in some way, shape, or form. Which, you know, not a bad thing in general, but if you're creating life to serve humans, that's slavery. Also, not all humans are like this, but I think enough humans are not. Okay. You see how many people will go and adopt a puppy. And when that puppy is no longer a puppy and no longer cute, or they get bored of it, they drop it off at the side of the road. You mean like Monica does with David in this movie? Or they turn it into a shelter or, Mm -hmm. or something. I mean, Best case not, scenario, they turn it into a shelter. To these, these in this movie, these mechas mm-hmm. that you have created them to feel love, and now they feel this. Uh, uh, they actually feel this abandonment. Well, yeah, that's the other side of love, right? You like the lack of love is actually kind of a, a shitty thing, right? Mm-hmm. The abandonment, being rejected, being and... rejected. Yeah, yep. 
Something that I don't think that Hobby really takes into consideration. No, he's just trying to replace his kid. Mm-hmm. Well, f- bury the lead next time. Damn. <laughs> this is how well, old people, if you're, the, again, if they're listening to this, they should they should have seen this by now. But. <laughs> Are you telling me there's no spoiler alerts for this? No. Okay, I think fine. we've kind of stopped doing fine. that a while ago. If people are listening to us, they know we just talk yeah, about still, the movie. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? I mean, if there's, you know, we probably should start putting, like, maybe a warning somewhere because... What if we get a new listener? Oh, that would be nice, right? If we get new listeners, not that our existing listeners aren't enough for us, but we want more. We want more. We're greedy. <laughs> so but if we get a new listener and they're not prepped for this, this could cost us that listener. If we're out here being like, Luke Skywalker is Darth Vader's son. They're like, you son Again, of a bitch. This movie came out in 2001. It's over 20 years old. So I'm not too worried about a spoiler. How dare point. you spoil a 40-year-old movie, you son of a bitch. So, like, Return of the Jedi. So, oh, actually, it would be Empire. So that would be 43-year-old movie. But anyway, so where the hell was I, man? I, I got off on a tangent there. So, yeah. So I think I think the idea of having emotional support mecha is is short-sighted because it's going to create you're, you're creating something that if if it's not life it's an approximation of it and it's going to experience pain if you don't return that love the other thing too is humans age and die these yeah. things don't right so you have this child who's going to love you for your whole life and then what are they going to do after yeah and the, the bond is permanent yeah they have to be destroyed. Yeah, they have to they, be destroyed. Yeah. <laughs> like literally, that's the like. If you don't want the baby, if you don't want the baby, if you don't want the mecha anymore, the mecha is destroyed. So now we have a sentient, feeling creature that we created that we're going to literally destroy if you no longer want it. And how wasteful, how human is that to just be like, just cast stuff aside and say, I don't need this anymore. That's why I said, I don't, I mean, not all human beings are like that, but there's enough like that, that I just don't think this is right. I think, I think this is, I think that's what would happen a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, it happens enough with like biological creatures, like, you know, puppies Mm -hmm. and like you said, like puppies. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. So anyway, back to the story in Madison, New Jersey, David is introduced to the Swinton family by the dad, Harry Swinton, who again works for the company that creates David. Now, Henry and his wife, Monica, have not lost their son, but their son, Martin, is he? does he have a disease or did he get into an accident? What happened to him? I do don't they... know. I just know he's in there while he's healing. Yeah, he's, like, he's in, yeah, in, he's like, in kind like... almost like a coma or something yeah. while he's healing. Yeah, I, like I, a I suspended animation. Yep, yeah. he's in like a suspended animation. And... Henry got approved to bring David home to test with Monica, basically. And he tells her, you know, if you want to keep this, you have to read this activation protocol or this imprinting protocol that we gave you. It's a very specific protocol. And she's not, she doesn't take to it right away. She doesn't take to David right away because he's slightly creepy mm-hmm. in that he just kind of shows up. 
in different places, you know, and, and, and is, it, he doesn't, he doesn't sleep. He's, you know, he's, he's not a biological child. Yeah. So she has a hard time with it, but eventually she's, she's warmed to the idea. And I, do you think that she's a hundred percent in on this yet? Or do you think she's doing this out of desperation? I think she did this because she missed her kid. Yeah. Whatever the heck his name was. Yeah. Martin. Martin the dick. Yeah. So I'm with you on this. I don't think that Monica was fully in, was fully all in on this. I think that Monica was half-heartedly in on it and not thinking of the ramifications for another creature when she activated the bonding protocols. Mm -hmm. And you notice she did, but the dad didn't. Well, it can only bond with one person. Oh, I thought you could do the parents. No, nope, no, it has to bond with one, one person. person. Yep. Okay. Well, then that makes sense why the dad didn't do it. Right. <laughs> he okay. So, the the, and this of course is like knowledge of the in the present affecting a memory, not a memory, but like affecting something that I've seen in the past. When she's reading those protocols to him, I'm like, that's how you get a Winter Soldier. Do you want a Winter Soldier? Because that's how you get a Winter Soldier. <laughs> <laughs> so all I could think of was Bucky getting the, those orders. Yeah. I was like, well, she's not reading it in a Soviet voice, so I guess it's probably okay. But immediately after she reads the protocols, he calls her mommy. And that's about all she needs to be like, all right, we did this. This is good. I like this. She just wants to, like, how selfish is Monica? Like, this is... Ex my problem with the human characters in this is that they are all self-serving. Every single one of them. They don't think beyond what the... It's the, it's the Jurassic Park thing all over again. Mm -hmm. We can do it. Should we do it? Right. The answer is not necessarily no, but the answer needs to be, why should I do this? Mm -hmm. The, the, the follow-up question should be, why should we be doing this? Mm-hmm. Is there a reason for us to do this? Is her pain so great that she needs a placeholder until Martin gets gets well? And if it is, go to therapy. Or something, right? Like, I suppose it's easy to be the armchair quarterback in this scenario, as I have thankfully never lost a child. But I would like to think that I would still have consideration for something that for all intents and purposes, is alive. David is alive. It exists. He exists. And when she bonds him to her, he becomes something more. <sighs> My frustration with her is that when it stops working, she casts him aside, like you said. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get to that. Well, we'll get there, I guess. So, he... He has love for her. He he. Now I don't know if it's emulated love or or genuine love, at first, but later, it appears to be borderline obsessive, when he's looking for her. Yeah. So, he tells her that he loves her. She doesn't always respond in kind. In fact, she never says "I love you" to yeah. him at all. Again, another point of contention for me. This is not, this is just, she wants a kid to tell her she they love her? How narcissistic are you? You know? And I mean, I get it. She's mourning, but like you said, go to therapy. Mm -hmm. 
go to therapy. You don't have to inflict yourself on another creature, another living being, and not reciprocate. If she reciprocated, I think I'd feel a whole lot different. Don't yeah. you? Or, yeah. or wouldn't you? I mean, would you? I think so. And then I also feel like when we get up here, when Martin does come home, I don't think they do anything to try and make that transition easy for them. Like it's yeah. just all of a sudden, all right, he's here and he's here. Figure it out. Yeah. They, they don't take any time to incorporate David into Martin's life or vice versa. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, why Martin's such a shit is because he probably feels like he's getting replaced or or mom went and found a replacement when I wasn't feeling good. Right. When I wasn't feeling good. Or you mean, you Almost mean dying. in suspension and suspended animation just, and half You dead. know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, the, no, I the, the, the trauma on that kid's psyche, I, I can't even imagine. So that's probably why he was lash, lashing out, you know? Truthfully, that's another victim of Monica's narcissism. Really? Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. David, you know, he really wants her to say that he she loves him, but she doesn't. And he ends up befriending Teddy, which is Martin's old, it was a super toy. They called it a super toy, which is a nice little callback to the, the story. Now, I did read the story many, many years ago. It's not a whole lot like the movie, obviously, but it does have some similarities. I'm trying, I tried to remember what it was about, but it's, I, I haven't been able to, and I, I was going to try and find like a, an audiobook version of it so I could listen to it when I was, you know, driving to and from work, but no, to no avail. Anyway, the super toy Teddy is a teddy bear that was Martin's and he befriends David. They, and then this is when Martin comes home. So Martin coming home, like you said, is kind of an intrusion on what David thinks he has with Monica. And Martin seeing David there is definitely a betrayal by his mother while he was, you know, in suspended animation. And so David is, or excuse me, so Martin, of course, is jealous of David and he tries to get him, he, he eggs him on. And at first it seems like maybe it's just like, you know, Big brother, little brother stuff. Yeah. But it's not. There's something a little bit more sinister to it. He knows that David can't eat. And if he does, it'll gum up his works. But he proceeds to, like, goad him into, like, eating a bunch of spinach. Uh And it just, like, it just freezes David and it melts his face. Like, now that CGI was not good. (laughs) That CGI was bad. Oh, my goodness. So once David is gummed up by the spinach, we get to see a different side of Monica's relationship with David because he has to go kind of into mecha surgery so they can clean out all the spinach from his insides. Now, if he can't eat, here's a question, just from a design standpoint, why would you give him like a hole that goes down into his insides? I don't know. That's dumb. That's that's dumb because what if somebody was like being malicious and they're like, you know what, we're gonna pour water down there. Yeah. Boom, done. He's done. I don't know. Just seems like it. It seems like it's almost. It's almost like the exhaust port in the Death Star. You know what I mean? Like that's dumb. Why do you have that there? At least we know. You know, like why would they put that there? Anyway. 
But when when he's going undergoing quote unquote surgery, she has like an averse reaction to seeing that he's not human. And I think this is like the first step in the whole like, okay, this she's starting to feel like it's unnatural, I think. Mm-hmm. And it kind of solidifies for her a couple of days later because David, or excuse me, Martin tells David, hey, if you want mommy to love you, you have to get a lock of her hair. Interestingly enough, this is the only way that he gets her to love him. Yeah. Eventually. Or at least some approximation of love for him. And he goes to do this in the middle of the night while she's sleeping and it it kind of when you wake up and you see your you know, Mecca child standing over you with scissors. Eh, it's a little bit of a shock to the system. You know, yeah, you, it's might, a little creepy. you might jump, you might flinch back a little bit and say, what the hell are you doing? Give me the, give me the scissors, you know. So that's the first real or the second straw. And the final straw is at Martin's birthday party. David is bullied by Martin's friends and David grabs a hold of Martin, expecting his quote-unquote big brother to protect him, and he backs into the family pool with Martin Mm -hmm. and drags Martin to the bottom of the pool. Now the adults, they jump in, they save Martin, but the damage now, I think, is too much for Monica to bear. And she decides that she is going to take him back. Got a question quick. Yeah. So if he can't eat... Mm-hmm. How can he swim if he's got those same holes? Did he have his mouth closed? No, he was talking. Yeah. He was talking. Yeah, how can he swim? Wouldn't the water get in there? What the hell? Definitely definitely a design flaw in this mecha. Yeah, that's a good... Hey, you know what? That's a damn good point. Why would he be able to like be in the water and talking... If that's going to expose the hole into his insides. Yeah. And maybe it, I mean, he's not breathing, but you know. No, but you open your mouth and the water's coming in. Yeah. Especially if he's not breathing, because when we talk, when we as humans talk, we force air out through our vocal cords that creates the sound, right? But he doesn't have that problem. He just has a speaker. He just has, like, you know, a digitized voice. Where's the speaker at? Like, in the back of his throat? Probably. I don't know. Because you don't really see one on his face. No, you don't. Interesting. Yeah, it's got to be in there. Maybe it's in the There's tongue. There's lots of interesting in this movie. I think I've said that, like, seven times now. <laughs> Maybe I'll try and come up with a different word here. This is interesting. <laughs> well, that's nice. <laughs> so, Monica decides that she's going to return David to his creator's. Because she's worried that if he can love, he could also grow to hate. I feel like it was more the dad that really influenced Monica to make this decision. He didn't have to push very hard. Uh, no, I don't think he did. But I really think it kind of started with him. And yeah. yeah. Yeah, Henry definitely influenced it. But here's the thing. The opposite of love is not hate. Yeah. The opposite of love is not hate. So, and this is AI. I mean, you don't you teach it then that you can kill him. I mean, where's where's the safety switch on this thing? 
this is kind of like when we talked about Megan from Thregan, right? Like, there's some culpability if there has to be some kind of failsafe. Otherwise, that you are on the hook if you created this thing and it ends up killing people, you know? Yeah. So Monica takes David in the car for a ride and she's heading back to the company that created him and she decides she can't do it. So instead of this is this is worse. In my opinion, this is worse. I think in, it is too. Instead of bringing him to the creators to be destroyed where he would no longer feel the love or the longing or the loss, she abandons him in the forest with Teddy and tells him to stay away from humans. She definitely cares for him or at least doesn't want it on her conscience. Yeah. I don't think that she's, I don't think that there's malice here, but I think that she's only thinking about herself. She's only thinking about herself. Well, yeah. How on earth does she think he's going to make it? But, I mean, they don't need to eat. They don't need to do anything. They don't. But as soon as a human finds them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're right. That's why she tells him to stay away from humans and stay away from flesh fairs, which he ends up not doing. But this leads David onto his journey, his journey to find the blue fairy from Pinocchio. Because mommy read him that story and he believes that the blue fairy will be able to make him a real boy, just like in the story. And if he's a real boy, then, then mommy, mommy will love will him. Love him. Yep, yeah, exactly. So he goes off on this adventure. He ends up getting captured by a flesh fair, which is like a, it's like a, like a circus where they like blow up and burn and destroy Mecca for the enjoyment of humans. Which, again, I understand the frustration, the anger, and the fear that these humans feel about this Mecca stuff. But this is not a good way to manifest those <laughs> those no. emotions at but all. My understanding is what happened was... Maybe I got picked. I don't know if I picked this up in the movie. Maybe I picked this up in the research or something. But the Mecca has basically replaced a lot of human workers, mm -hmm. created a different class. So there was now different class wars that were happening because it wasn't, oh, they are coming and doing my job. Now I can go do other things that aren't paying me. Like the, you, you had people losing jobs and going into poverty. Right. So this became a, they took our jobs. That's exactly what this is. This is the... Right, but it's not... Yeah, it, it's just they... You have a different class, you know. Blah. Anyways, yes. David is next up on the chopping block by at, a, at one point here when he's, with, he's in, at, when he's at the flesh fair. And he begs for his life, which makes a little girl say, wait a minute. And so she brings her dad to David... And they, like, how did that even, I can't remember how that happened. Like, David ends up still going out there and he begs for his life to the, the crowd. And the crowd was like, hold up, that's not, that's not Mecca. Yeah. That's a little boy. So he's convincing enough that he can fool the general population, right? 
Right, because he's got fear. He's Yeah, there's fear there. Yeah, absolutely. Most of the other mecha, they don't fear what's happening. They're just, they just continue on. One of them, I think it was one of the, one of the mecha that's going to get destroyed asks David or somebody else to like hold on to one of its memory chips or something. Like there's no fear. There's no worry that it's going to hurt because the mecha that they're like taking for the most part don't look human. They are partially human looking humanoid looking but mostly mostly very obviously still non-biological whereas david is not yeah so yeah david david would be like the character like the mecca at the beginning of the movie who has that pain aversion response yep so that's why he begs for his life so they ask him to. They ask them to. The the humans in the audience ask them to spare the kid, but they end up like like they're still going to kill him. They're still going to kill David, and so the audience like rebels, mm-hmm. and this gives David time to escape with Gigolo Joe, who is a prostitute, a male prostitute, Mecca. Now, there's also a Gigolo Jane. When we meet Gigolo Joe the first time, he's got a Gigolo Jane that he talks to, and he's going around pleasing women. But he got set up for murder by a human husband of a wife who was stepping out. Uh-huh. And so that's how he was on the or why he was on the run. They run to the nearby resort town of Rouge City, along with David, where they go to meet Dr. No, who's the holographic, like, Yahoo of its time, I guess. Or Google or something. Or Robin Williams. Or Robin Williams, yeah. <laughs> so, that yeah, this is where we get Robin Williams. So, he directs them to the top of Rockefeller Center in the flooded city of Manhattan, New York. And then he also gives David more information about the Blue Fairy and the Pinocchio fairy tale. And this is what convinces David unequivocally that the Blue Fairy will be able to help him. Ah, Is it just in his programming to not have reasonable intelligence or just have intelligence that you would expect of a child of his age? That would make sense, maybe, is that the, but, you know, you're going to have this thing for a long time. You would think it, you the parent would want it to grow. That's, yeah, that's, exactly. Mentally, even if it's not physically growing. Do you really want to be answering, why is the sky blue for the next 30 but years? But why? Yeah, but, but why? why? Yeah. I agree. I agree. Hmm. That's a, that's a, that's a very good point there. So David and Gigolo Joe... How did they get that flying craft? They ended up like stealing a cop car, right? They did because there was police there. I don't remember if it was for them or for somebody else, but there but, were other mecha that they were after. But David just got in and yep. took off, and Gigolo yep. Joe jumped in. Oh no, that's what it was. They were going. To, they were going to arrest Gigolo Joe. They came to arrest Gigolo Joe. Then okay, David yeah. took the opportunity to get into the police vehicle, which is a flying car, for lack of a better term. And the distraction allowed Gigolo Joe to escape and go with David to Manhattan. There he meets Professor Hobby, 
And uh, he gets to meet his maker, literally. David meets his maker. Like, this is a very, like, human story for a non-human creature, right? Mm -hmm. So, he is told that because he, because David searched out this information, because David went looking for Professor Hobby, because he went looking for his origin, and he went looking for this blue fairy. That proves that he is sentient. That proves that he is alive. That he is capable, then, of love and desire, angst, anger, fear, all of these things that are human. But David is a little thrown because the with that realization comes the idea that you maybe are an individual, if you're sentient, you expect to be an individual, right? Yeah. But he stumbles across like multiple copies of himself. Yeah. And also female versions named Darlene or something. Okay. Was it Darlene? Uh, maybe. Female, female Davids. Yeah. And he is just, that's it. He just knows now that he's not an individual. He's not a human. He'll never be a, a human. A real boy. Yeah, he'll never be a real boy. So he is despondent, and what he does next is he jumps off of the skyscraper where this corporation is into the abyss of the water below. And he sees, while he's underwater, he sees the blue fairy. But it's the blue fairy from a Pinocchio display at Coney Island, which you know was there before the water's swallowed it whole, right? Yeah. Like the other, there's another, there's there's your Pinocchio thing, swallowed it like a whale, right? And Joe rescues him or tries to rescue him in an amphibious like car. So I think they, I think that police car can like go underwater too. Yeah. Because it is the police car, right? Yep. That they find. Yep, it is. So David goes to tell Joe that he found the blue fairy, but before Joe can like say anything or help him with anything he gets captured by the authorities he gets pulled out of the water with an electromagnet they've been pursuing them and they've got him now what does he say like when he's getting pulled away what he says something remember me okay doesn't he oh no no excuse me he says i was again this is another here we go well they're they're alive right joe knows what his fate is uh-huh. he fears it yeah. He says, I existed. I was here. My my computer here isn't going to think that to me no. when I turn it off for the last time. No. So even though these mechas don't have that same fear built in, they got to have some kind of fear built in. I think that Gigolo Joe and Gigolo Jane probably have more emotion tapped into them than other random mechas do because they have a specific job to do and it's that job that at the beginning at the end the mecha of course this mecha at the beginning shows us everything that we need to see about what mechas really are before david and it tells us what it, it, he says what is love to the the mecca at the at the opening scene that professor hobby does and it says love is widening my eyes and my pupils dilating and my pulse getting faster and my breathing getting faster so 
it knows how to do those things. So is this real fear? Is this real desire to be remembered from Joe? Has he... Because even though they might have been just created without it, do you think it's possible that he could have evolved to it? Having I mean, spent enough time with David? what the AI kind of is supposed to do to some extent yeah. to evolve? That's And that's the scary part of AI. That's the part of AI that leads... I, I jokingly often say, you know, oh, that's how we get Terminators. I don't honestly believe that that's how we're going to get Terminators. But the the worrisome thing about AI and what we're dabbling in as a society now is that it will eventually evolve. It will find ways to, it already has, find ways to better itself, to create a new version of itself, to rebirth itself and evolve. And then what, what do we have left? What are we, what's left for us? You know, that's the fear I think for humans when it comes to that. Some humans, myself included at some, you know, sometimes. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. So the electromagnet smacks into the Ferris wheel, which falls on the craft and traps David down in front of the blue fairy. And the movie ends with him begging the blue fairy to make him a real boy. Just kidding, it doesn't. It actually continues on. Now, this is when I was sitting in the movie theater, I was like, shit, that's that's it, huh? That's the wow, that's dark. Just you know, him, <laughs> him, it like, doesn't get any better, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, I was like, yeah, You're see like, that, it's dark, yeah. But like, yeah, yeah, screw that, yeah. let's go back to the other ending, yeah, like, the, so this is really dark. And when it when it's kind of fades, I was like, oh, shit, there's more, right? But so I was already like, bam, damn, that's really dark for a Spielberg movie. And then it's the, it's the, the Billy, Billy, what's his name? The, who's the ShamWow guy? But wait, there's more. That guy, Billy, Billy Hayes, was it? The, but wait, there's more guy on oh, no infomercials. No, anyway, there is, there's more. We find that 2000 years in the future, Mecca have become so advanced and humans are completely extinct that Mecca are the prevailing society, prevailing organism on the planet earth is now in another ice age and manhattan is buried under ice and these mecca there's a there's a group of them called the specialists that have wanted to explore what humanity was and what made humans human and they find and they revive david and teddy because they actually interacted with humans they may have been they may be the only left connection of Mecca that interacted with humans. Mm -hmm. And when they defrost Teddy and David, David, they actually end up taking the blue fairy with them and David goes to touch the blue fairy and it crumbles, mm -hmm. which again, that's the death of everything that he was hoping for. There is no blue fairy. It's just a pipe dream. It's just ash to be blown away in the wind. The specialists have reconstructed the Swinton's home from David's memories, and then they explain to him, well, okay, so they, <laughs> they create a hologram of the Blue Fairy to talk to David, which I think is fucking cruel, right? Like, 
this kid can never be human. Do, do, does that does that seem cruel to you, or am I way off here? Like, I I think they're trying to give him something familiar to interact with instead of these alien-looking bodies. I mean, instead they of just do, dumping him into the future. Yeah. yeah, they do look very different than what he's used to seeing. That's true. Okay, so you're right. Yeah, you're right. So this is a nice way for them to kind of ease him into the idea that he's 2,000 years in the future. The Blue Fairy construct tells David that it can't make him into a real boy, but they are capable of recreating Monica, but they need her genetic material to be able to do so. And Teddy reveals that the lock of Monica's hair that that David had cut off that one night... Teddy had grabbed it and put it in his, like, insides. And he hands it to David, and David says, make her real. Bring her back. Yeah. And so they do. But they say, look, she can only live for one day. Our technology has not been able to maintain these clones beyond one day. When they go to sleep, they die. They're done. And... They cannot repeat the process. So she's only one coming back. There's only one way for this to end. So David doesn't care. And he gets mommy back with this technology. And he spends his happiest day with her the way they, the narrator describes it, his happiest day. And she becomes tired at the end of the day. He's tucking her in and she tells him that she loves him, which is everything David had ever wanted. He just wanted mommy to love him back. Mm-hmm. And that moment is enough for him to be done. And he crawls up next to her and according to the narrator, goes to sleep, which Mecca are not able to do, and goes to that place where dreams are born. So he he deactivated himself. Yeah. Because he got everything that he ever wanted in that final day. He wanted mommy to love him. And so that was enough for him to be like, that's everything I need. I'm done. Yeah. Shut down. He Pull the plug. We're to done. Continue without mom. Right. And left Teddy behind. He abandoned his (laughs) friend, Teddy. Poor fucking Teddy. Why is everybody getting abandoned in this movie? I don't know. David learned nothing from Monica because he just left Teddy out there. And Teddy's like, oh, man, now what? He's out here with all these, like, super advanced mecha. And he's, like, a super toy that was old when David was new. Yeah. You know? Like, poor Teddy. I like Teddy. I thought he was kind of cool looking. Yeah, Teddy was cool. Teddy was... They did was, a good job of not making it creepy. Like, trying yeah. to do a doll like that that moves around and talks and not make you think of Chucky or something like that. I think they did a good job of <laughs> yeah. coming up, making him cute. Yeah. Now, okay, okay, so the thing about that is that he is mostly CGI, isn't he? 
No, he well, a partial, but there okay. is an actual puppet, and there's a puppeteer that, like, Teddy, when he's walking, he's actually on, like, these, like, stick things, and the <sighs> puppeteer's walking behind him. Ah, okay. his feet and stuff. All right. And okay. I think they said there was, like, six or eight puppeteers that worked him. Okay, good. Um, well, I'm glad some then. Some of it is CGI, but mo- but a lot of it is the, the is the puppet. So okay, good. And then they had uh, kind of like a emptied out Teddy that was the one that David would carry around, so oh, it was sure, a little yeah. lighter. But Haley Joel Osment in one of his interviews said it was still heavy. He said it was like twenty pound Teddy bear. Jesus Christ! <laughs> Just wander around like it's like a freaking albatross that he's holding on. Oh, I gotta drag this fucking thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. This thing's getting heavy. <laughs> you guys couldn't just give me I don't a know regular why, teddy? Why was, I know. Why just don't put they a, put just... Put stuffing in it. Just make one with stuffing. Why does it have like, to be 20 pounds? I don't know. <laughs> That's crazy. It's crazy. So, yeah, speaking of dark as shit, this ending is even more dark. My God. Humanity's extinct. He gets mommy to tell him he loves her, but she's doing it on her fucking deathbed. And then he's like, I'm going to switch off. I'm good, guys. I'm out. Peace out. He nopes the fuck out of there. That's that's dark. That is mm-hmm. like just when you thought, well, maybe he's maybe Spielberg's going to give him his, you know, his his like nice little nice little Spielbergian touch, right? We're going to get that whole ET's not dead at the end. Nope, nope, nope. I didn't know what to make of this movie the first time I saw it. I was very emotional at the end of this movie the first time. Yeah. Yeah. There's. There's a lot of stuff that you would have you have to unwrap and think about yeah. the moral implications to a lot of what is happening in in this movie. Yes, absolutely. And that's one of the reasons that I like this movie and one of the reasons why I wanted to do this movie because there's more to this than your average Spielberg film. Your average Spielberg film is going to have a lot of adventure, a lot of action, but this movie this movie has, like you said, like moral implications. There's questions about AI, about the idea, the concept of AI, the concept of love as an idea. I mean, there's a whole lot going on in this movie that, uh, that I kind of appreciated, that I kind of appreciated. So I have a question. Mm-hmm. They tell him at the end. We can't make you into a real boy through the blue fairy. But they do tell him that he is unique in all the world. Another thing that was something that was a problem for him. One of the, it was the reason why he pitched himself off of that building is because he wasn't unique. He was just a model, just a toy in the end. Mm-hmm. If he's unique in all the world, does that make him real? Is he a real boy at that point? He's the only existing He's the boy anymore. He's the mecha artificial intelligent out there. Right. You know? He's the realest boy that they still have living. Yeah. yeah. In the end, he really kind of was. I'm just grasping at straws here to make this a little less dark, but he was kind of the last remaining boy. I, I always felt that them telling him that he's unique in all the world meant that he was real finally truly real even though they said that we can't make you real and because because to him what is real is i want to be flesh i want to be blood i want to be able to eat and i want mommy to love me and 
he doesn't get that, but he gets a version of that in that he is a unique creature. Finally, finally, after all this time, 2000 and whatever years. So yeah, an, an interesting comment that Joe makes when they're in Rouge city, they go to that chapel or that they don't go in, they go to, and, D- and David's kind of looking at it like, what is this? And Joe says, those who made us are always searching for who made them. And I thought that was interesting. I thought that was interesting because uh, even yeah. those of us who don't believe in in some sort of a religious or a deity or something, we still search for where we came from. Like what what is it? What's the protoplasm that created us, and how did we cre- how did we become created? Right? Like where what is our origin? Mm-hmm. Why are we here? This very basic to everyone, you know. So anyway, so uh, do you have any notes? Any kind of like tidbits and stuff that you want to throw in I there? have a couple things. Okay. Right. In order to further his non-human appearance, Haley Joel Osment, oh, yeah. he would shave <laughs> all of his exposed skin yeah. to give him a more plastic look. And he also didn't blink in this movie. Yeah, I did hear about that. I did hear about that. And, and in fact, this watch through, I paid attention. And he doesn't. He doesn't blink one damn time and in an interview i watched him doing and he was doing it as little kid you know he's little and he's like it was really hard (laughs) no kidding are you kidding me come on that'd be hard for somebody tells me don't blink guess what i start blinking you're like like, what don't blink what are you talking about (laughs) exactly like that rapid fire you're all of a sudden you're you're blinking at 30 frames per second you're like what what do you mean why why not blink don't blink yeah Exactly. Spielberg passed on Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone and Jurassic Park 3 to direct this film. Both of those movies were in better hands without Spielberg. I don't feel like now, and I'm again, I'm not really a Harry Potter fan, but Chris Columbus did a great job with that first movie. And he was the one, he's kind of the person that Spielberg is like, yeah, you should talk to Chris Columbus. Yeah. Yep. He also called Tom Cruise when this came up. And because they were going to be filming Minority Report, and oh, he yeah. said, "Hey, could we put this on hold for a while?" Yeah. And Tom Cruise said, "Go ahead, do what you got to do." And then they mm-hmm. went back and did it later. So well, Cruise had worked with Stanley Kubrick on Eyes Wide Shut. We should do a Stanley Kubrick thing. Yeah. Oh, maybe, maybe our do next that next year. May, huh? well, I don't know. Next year we're going to go with something. I was going to try. I want to throw something at you another time. We'll see what you think of it. But but maybe at some point we can do a Stanley Kubrick thing yeah maybe go back and look at somebody you're, you're gonna love it you're gonna love it we'll watch barry linden now we won't watch barry linden never mind that's <laughs> boring as fuck but, and i've um, got a couple alternate castings here okay all right joseph mazello as david oh the kid from jurassic park yeah yeah well, maybe i don't know i mean he's not as good an actor as Haley joel osmond at this age so yeah. i don't i i think they i think it was a wise move going with Haley joel osmond Thankfully, it all worked out, right? I mean, obviously, there would have been scheduling stuff, and they make sure, but, you know. Yeah, I think that Haley Joel Osment is... I can't picture anybody else doing it, honestly. Yeah. And then for Monica, we have Julianne Moore or Gwyneth Paltrow. Okay, so Frances O'Connor, she played this standoffishly kind of distant person to a T. I think out of those two alternate castings, the only person that would have been able to do it is Gwyneth Paltrow. 
because Gwyneth Paltrow seems like she's distant and emotionally unavailable <laughs> to begin with, so she might have been a good choice. Now, to be fair, to be fair, Julianne Moore is still my lady crush for movies. You know how Bradley Cooper's my guy crush? Yeah. Julianne Moore, lady crush. So, and that woman can do no wrong. I've seen her in so many things. I love her. She would have been great in this, but I wanted to make a joke about Gwyneth Paltrow. So. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Okay, that's all my notes. Do you have anything else to go over? No, I think I've talked about all of my notes. Let me just double check here. Oh, I did have a note here that said, <laughs> these aren't aliens. <laughs> that's funny. Because... I remember there was a big uproar about, like, why are there aliens? It doesn't make any sense. And interestingly enough, this is the first of two Spielberg movies that people are going to mistake creatures that are in the movies for aliens. The second is Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Those aren't aliens either. They're interdimensional beings. It's even said in the movie that that's what they are. But people are still like, it's aliens. I'm like, it's not aliens. Aren't, aren't beings from another planet another dimension wouldn't they another be, earth wouldn't they be those are aliens to you they're not from here they're from an earth but not this earth so so that that would be an alien person they're it's not, not from aliens this they're interdimensional place. beings nah i'm just I'm like a, these no. mecca are mecca i i i don't know i think that would be an alien thing not an alien they're not aliens I'm going to die on this hill. I'm going to die on this anthill, this fire anthill. What? <laughs> it's a disagree. <laughs> you can disagree all you want, but I'm going to die on this hill. I'm going to defend it like I'm at, like I'm in war or something. Like you have a personal Like I have a personal damn stake in this. In this. That's right. <laughs> anyway. All right. So no other notes. Let's do our thing. Keep renter a race, Jen. I am so on pins and needles. I want to know what you're going to do with it and why. All right, this one is really hard for me, and I still don't know if I know what I want to do here. I thought this movie was so boring. Oh, my God. <laughs> this was so, like that I whole, could see it on your face while we were watching it. That whole opening part where he's talking about that one chick mecha thing, and I'm like, oh, shit, this is what this is. Oh, my God, I hate this already. <laughs> And then there was parts that were fine and I liked it and I was getting into it. Like once we got out of the parents' house yeah. and he's on his little journey right, right. up to a certain point, yeah. I was like, okay, I can handle this. And then I got into just absolute boredom again. I, I, oh my God, I did not enjoy this movie. T this take is it where you're going to take it. not my cup of tea. Take it where you're going to take it. hundred percent not my cup of tea. Stu However... This isn't a bad movie. I can see that this isn't a bad movie. This is just not a movie for me. Okay, but you are the voice of the people yes. like you yes. on this show. Yeah. So you need to be I honest, will, be true to yourself. I will never watch this movie again. So this isn't a race for you. I will never watch this movie. I have a hard time saying a race because I know that there's a lot of people out there that would probably enjoy this movie. So for me personally, I would probably call this an erase. But for those who really like the sci-fi, I think you probably would get, you would like this movie. There's, there's the sci-fi aspect. There is the whole questioning whether what, 
what doing this technology is, if it's moral, should we do this? Shouldn't we do this? What are we going to do? I think that's important stuff. And that's why I think some people would enjoy this movie. And I see that. I could see why people would. Me personally, I will never watch this again. It was so darn boring. I don't like it. So I don't know. I suppose that might be an erase for me. But really, I was going to call it a low rent because I I don't know that the movie really needs to be erased from existence because I do think some people would like it. So So it's a low rent, high erase for you. Yes. I'm I'm not going to watch this again ever. All right. Okay. I, you? <laughs> I, uh, I, I can understand where you're coming from. I can. Because this, and, and again, not your average Spielberg movie. One of the reasons that I wanted to have this in here is because it's dark as fuck. It is a heavily Spielbergian, or hev- excuse me, a heavily Kubrickian influenced Spielberg movie. For me, personally, this is a keep. My recommendation is Rent. I'm going to fall on rent here because this is one of the hardest hard sci-fi movies that Spielberg has ever made. It's it's definitely the hardest of hard sci-fi movies that he's ever made. It is a movie that is, it drags a little bit in spots, but if you're interested in the technology that we are facing as a society right now, this AI stuff, this has interesting moral implications that are brought to light at the very beginning. They're talked about and, and and examined under a microscope the whole way through. If that's something that you want to hear about, or if you want to see what we were thinking back in 2001 or 2002 or whenever this came out, definitely, definitely, definitely watch this movie. But my thought is for the general population, this is definitely just a rent. It's not a keep. So. I 100% understand. <laughs> <laughs> so we kind of came at it from differing perspectives there where you're like, I fucking hate this. And I'm like, I fucking love this. <laughs> yeah. But we have to meet in the middle because we both realize that like, you're not, that everybody, not everybody's going to hate this and definitely not everybody's going to love this. Yeah. It took me a long time to get to a place where I loved this movie. It really did. And this is what I love about film in general is that repeated viewings can give you greater insight and greater depth of knowledge of what you're looking at. Repeated viewings can... There was enough of a kernel in this movie that made me think, okay, I got to see that again. I I need to understand it a little bit better. Something piqued my curiosity. And it took me about three viewings before I said, you know what, This this is a damn good film. Not his best movie, but it's a damn good film. The other thing, too, is if you watch it in different points of your life, you're going to be in different places in your life. Oh, I mean, yeah. if you do what humans typically do, you're going to emotionally and intellectually grow mm-hmm. as you get older, and you're going to appreciate movies differently mm-hmm. from when you watched it before. Absolutely. I mean, it, it makes absolute sense. Yep. Yep. But I am tenacious enough to watch a movie that I had a negative reaction to the first time. I mean, of course... I won't unless you force me to. <laughs> if I... <laughs> <laughs> You've made me watch movies I didn't really want to watch. Uh, yeah, I tied you up and held, like, put, like, put, like, those uh, clockwork orange, like, eye braces on you, made you watch it. Yep. Yeah. Right. Yep. So, I, th- I, have, I have another movie that I hated at first, Blush, but then I, it, I turns out I love that movie, The Matrix. 
I thought it was all a bunch of noise. I didn't understand. I didn't, I didn't understand it at first. It took me a couple of viewings to be like, okay, all right. I see the appeal of this. I yeah. see what we're, I see what we're dealing with here, you know? And as a, as a dark far fetched far, or far future sci-fi film, it works. Yeah. Like, gangbusters it works yeah i like the i i had the same issue with matrix the first time i watched it i had dead no clue what i yeah. even watched i was like i don't <laughs> well, know what this movie was even about I, I knew i knew what i was watching but i thought it was pretentious oh i i couldn't understand it but then i watched it again i really liked that now i've watched the other matrix movies i don't like them as much most um, of us don't <laughs> but and I think it just gets too much into the sci-fi area for me, where the first one, there's enough action in there that it keeps me in, engaged in it, uh-huh. you know? Yeah, so. the, the other two Matrix movies are into the sci-fi part that's like, is this really sci-fi or are you guys just being... It's It goes into philosophy way more than sci-fi. Yeah, and I don't really like that. I, I know, think I like sci-fi more than philosophy, <laughs> so... <laughs> All right. <laughs> Fair enough. So, okay, so AI is done. We're going to put David back in his box. What are we doing next? Next, we're going to cover Tetris. Tetris, the game? Yes. We're going to play it. Are we getting Game Boys? (laughs) That's the only way to play Tetris is on a damn Game Boy. I'm going to be honest with you. I loved Tetris on my Game Boy. I love Tetris. Who didn't love Tetris when it first came out? Punks. People that I mean, everybody jerks. I knew played Tetris. Douchebags. I mean, just the, kidding. If you didn't like Tetris, jocks, I don't mean you. The geeks, the, the freaks, the the, the metalheads. Kids. I yeah. mean, everybody played Tetris. Sound like the office lady on also, Ferris Bueller. I, just just to clarify, I yeah. never considered people actual freaks and geeks. I'm just saying, just people from all all walks of life when we were in school. Oh yeah, loved Tetris. Every social tier in yes. in high school yeah. loved Tetris. So, okay, so it's interesting. We're going to watch that movie. It's about how they brought Tetris to the to America. And it has Taron Edgerton in it. And I kind of like him. He's kind of fun. It has Taron Edgerton in it? It does. Uh, I've enjoyed most of the movies I've seen. Yeah, okay, I, I do too, but he seems interchangeable with like at least a couple of other British guys that look similar. I... I I have a, I have like a face blindness with him, like I do with the Reese Witherspoon and the other one. Alicia Silverstone. Yeah, her. Like I can't tell them apart. I always think one's the other. And him, it's I can't remember who the other guy is. <laughs> like, like I couldn't remember Alicia Silverstone. I can't, I can't, I like, I can't, I don't, I don't know. I just, I have a face blindness to him where it's like, yeah, he's there, but whatever, you know. I'm not saying he's bad. It just like doesn't really. Stick with me. Man, he was great in the Elton John movie. I he was so good in that. I forgot that was him. I forgot that was him. Shit. Okay, well, all right. Well, uh, he's going to be in this movie apparently. Yes, I'm just going to have be. to try and imbr- like burn his visage on my brain, I guess. Well, I don't know if you have to go that far, but maybe just watch No, the that's the only solution. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're playing Tetris next week right here on the couch. Thanks for listening, everyone. You've been listening to A View from the Couch, a Space Moose Media podcast. You can interact with our hosts on Twitter by going to twitter.com forward slash view underscore couch. You can also email us at aviewfromthecouch at yahoo.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, please help us get noticed by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, 
or the podcast platform of your choice. Thanks for listening.